Welcome everyone to the Hottest Skeena Podcast, episode 30. We got a big one today. Uh, I could not be more excited for this guest. He is as big as it gets right now. Randy Wilkins with us, the director and producer of The Captain, the documentary for Derek Jeter uh, on ESPN. Really, really happy to have him. He's a phenomenal director. He's made some incredible pieces before. Super excited to have him on. You know, the Yanks have been have been sliding. They had a nice win on Wednesday night with Donaldson's walk-off Grand Slam in the 10th. Uh, the Yanks look to rebound in a four-game set against Toronto. But this episode, we're going to focus on Randy and the documentary, The Captain with Derek Jeter. We'll be right back. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Ahí va. Por el desfile. Olvídala. Somos la calle. En la calle. Esa se va. Se va. Se fue. And we're back. Uh, first off, I want to introduce the, the man of the hour, uh, Randy Wilkins. Uh, Randy, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for for taking the time. We've been uh, we've been messaging each other back and forth for quite some time, but we're we're glad to you know we know you you're very busy, so we're we're just really happy to you know have you on and and spend some time. Yeah, it's my pleasure. We definitely appreciate it, Randy. Uh, my first question to you uh, is outside of the captain. First, you know, I know you're a big Yankees fan. I can see already with with the hat. I'm wearing a hat too, but you know, this team this year has been compared to at their best of the, you know, the 98 team, like, you know, everyone wanted to believe. And then at their lowest, like they, they've been besides of last night, you know, to the 2013 team. What, what do you, what do you look at this team as, as a reality? And do you think this team is, is still world series potential? Oh yeah. I mean, they just had a bad stretch. I don't I don't understand the overreactions. They're really good. They're a title contender. Uh they have all the pieces necessary to win a championship. Uh I've never doubted them uh and what their potential is or could be and how they've developed over the year. They just hit a bad stretch recently. I mean, it happens. It's a long season. Uh even the ninety-eight team has like a terrible September. So I mean it's just the nature of the schedules, the nature of a long season. Um you can't play 750 baseball all season. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm extremely confident in them. Uh, I believe that they're still the best team in the AL at the very least. This stretch doesn't really phase me in, in my evaluation that way. I just think that a lot of bad things happened. The schedule happened. I mean, just that last road trip is is a brutal stretch for any major league baseball team, just travel-wise. So when you combine that with injuries and not playing great, um, you know, you're going to get a stretch like this. And, and all the games have been close. I'd be far more concerned if they were getting blown out and getting killed every game. But they're losing one run, two run generally uh, game. So I'm not really that concerned. I think it's just baseball and they'll get out of it and uh, everybody will be excited again pretty soon. So, Randy, I want to now shift gears to the documentary. Um what everybody has been enjoying so much. Um, first of all, congratulations on all your success in this endeavor. Um, 
No, you're very welcome. Um, I, like many others, feel that this was a masterpiece and a very well put together story by everybody involved, you know, you, Spike Lee, everybody, um, especially considering the person that this project was centered around was somebody that us Yankee fans didn't know a lot about during his playing career. I want to ask you, how were you able to get Derek, who's always been so guarded and close to the vest, um, to open up and tell his story the way he did? And what was it like interacting with Derek in general? Uh, I think the first thing is that Derek wanted to do it. You know, it was something that he was ready to do. Uh, he's he said multiple times now that the impetus for doing this in the first place was having a record of his life and his career for his, his daughters. You know, he didn't have a family when he played because he, he put his career first and he knew that he was going to be selfish and wouldn't be given the attention and time that his family would deserve. So when he had the uh, Hall of Fame call back in 2020, when he was officially uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, he had a camera crew there and they recorded that moment. And he was with his daughters. Uh, he was with his wife, his parents, Casey, close, uh, you know, loved, loved ones and close ones. And I think that set the, the groundwork for him to pursue something like the documentary. Um, but it all comes back to his kids and having a record for his daughters. And then when I met him, it really was just about gaining trust, you know, and being authentic and being myself. Like, I, I'm not there to take advantage of him. I'm not there to exploit him. I was there to tell an honest and authentic story that he was telling along with a lot of other people. So I think you can tell right away that I'm genuine, that I'm not going to BS you. Um, and I'm here for the quote unquote right reasons, which is to tell an authentic story that people have the opportunity and platform to speak their truth. So we hit it off right away. Um, I think it helped that Spike endorsed me to Derek. So it was somebody um, that came along from a, a trusted confidant and friend. So I think all those things put together put him at ease and and he knew right away that I was somebody that, that he could trust and he could uh, entrust his story with. To backpack off that, um, I also wanted to to say that, you know, incredible job. I'm myself, like, right. I, I can't, I can't, no, no problem. I cannot, like, watch one episode at a time because then I'm begging for the next one. So I've been waiting for it to end so that I could just binge the whole thing. Cause then it just brings me all to my feels like, Oh man, we had the highs and the lows and Oh, I brought me back to, you know, being a kid. But, um, I, I have to say, man, you've done an incredible job and in, in giving us one of, you know, New York's most beloved sports figures like Derek, you know, a story comparable to the one they did with Michael Jordan uh, for basketball was was just absolutely remarkable and and you know this leads to my next question what was it like to talk and interact with with Jeter's family from you know Charlie Dorothy and and Dr. Charles oh it was great i mean they they were they accepted me right from jump i think if you get Derek's approval you get their approval so uh they were incredibly open and helpful and supportive of the project. You know, I think there are times when the family can be really guarded, not them, but I'm just speaking in general for something of this magnitude where you're opening up to the world, people are uncomfortable and they, and they want to protect things. But that didn't happen with Derek's parents. That didn't happen with Charlie. Charlie was almost like a producer 
uh, she was like the family producer uh, in a lot of ways. She provided so many things to us, including the draft day footage and Derek's christening footage and um, the home videos that they that they still have. His parents were incredible. They are incredible people. Um, we said after we interviewed his parents that we knew that we had something special with the, the project. Like that was the day when we knew that this was going to be a big deal and that this was going to be incredibly unique and special. And I think that's just a testament to who they are and what they've gone through together, what they've gone through with their kids to get to the point that they're all at now. So um, I was very blessed and grateful to, to work alongside them. Uh, his parents called me actually a couple of days ago and, and like said some of the nicest things I've ever heard about me and my work and to hear it from them, uh, it was almost like I was hearing it from my parents, you know? So um, they're incredible people. His sister's incredible. Uh, so yeah, it was, I was very honored and lucky to be in a situation where his family kind of took me as one of their own and, uh, really helped me tell his story. About the 98 team, Randy, uh, I know my partner briefly referenced them earlier. Um, in episode two, we saw the growth of Derek coming up as a rookie in 95, going through his growing pains and then becoming a key figure and widely beloved, 98 team um what was it like looking back and reminiscing on 98 with Derek and what do you think his impact was on that championship team would they have won it all without him I don't think they win any championship without Derek Jeter I mean he was their <laughs> he was their leader he was their best player um on the position side he I mean they they took their lead from Derek you know, he was the most confident guy on the team. You know, he's once 96 happened, you know, it was it was pretty much Derek's team, even with those veterans around. So it was cool to talk about 98. I don't think that, you know, like they talked about it, but it was it was such a dominant season that it's almost like you can't really put it into words. You know, they all the guys that we spoke to that that were a part of it was just like our attitude was just to beat you every day and we never gave up. We never gave up that idea that once we showed up, the game was already over. And once you have that attitude, you just, you just start rolling. You know what I mean? It was like, they, they were beating teams before the game started. And that was a very consistent uh, thought that went throughout. And I think that it's a reflection of Derek's relentlessness. You know, like David Cohn mentioned that, because Derek was always saying what's next, what's next, what's next, that you had to match that because just because you won the previous night had nothing to do with that day's game. And because Derek always brought that attitude, they had to match it. So you don't win that championship without that attitude. You know what I mean? And, and you don't set that record without treating each day as if it's like the last game that you're going to play in your career and then coming through with it. So. It was great to hear him talk about it. A lot of them talked about the impact of losing in 97 and how that set them up for 98, that they just weren't going to have that feeling anymore. You know, sometimes it's as simple as you're just not going to let something happen anymore. And the 97 loss to Cleveland had a very big impact on what ended up happening in 98. My favorite player of all time is, well, some people like to think it's Derek Cheater, but it actually is Alex Rodriguez. And 
Um, I was born in the mid nineties, but I started watching baseball fully by my 98, 99 when Alex Rodriguez in Seattle and, you know, the way you captured a rod in Seattle all the way to the friendship and stuff is something like I've always wanted to know because of how I always, you know, I always heard that they were friends and then all of a sudden seeing them not friends was something like, I felt like it was something I always wanted to know, but I was never going to find out. And the way you told that story was like beyond incredible. Like I, it, it brought me all the way back and like to my feels, I was like, like, it's one of those things where I always say like, man, I just wish they got it together. And I wish that something could have worked and, you know, it, you know, they could have buried the hatchet, but you know, that's, that's what I wanted to ask you with, with, you know, what was it like meeting A-Rod? Cause he's the guy I've modeled my whole baseball lifestyle after, and what was it like meeting him and getting, you know, the perspective of both their stories? Uh, that feels like a two-part question that'll get two different answers. Uh, I'm very appreciative that he did the interview. I'm very appreciative that he spoke his truth. Uh, I'm very appreciative that he was vulnerable and said what he said on camera. He wasn't my favorite interview, though. Uh, he... Uh, I don't. I I think he left not being particularly popular amongst the crew. Um, I think ultimately what matters is what he says on camera. You know what I mean? Because it's really about the storytelling. So, you know, you're going to come across people that you might not click with or might not have the best energy or interactions with you. Doesn't really matter as long as what they're saying on camera ends up. Um, being something important for the story, which is what he absolutely did. That was all that we needed from him. But I, I would be lying if I said that that was my favorite interview or that at moments there wasn't tension. Um, so meeting him was fine. I mean, he was actually one of my favorite Yankees as well. Um, but he, he wouldn't be in my top 10 of like favorite interviews uh, if I had to make a list. Randy, in episode four, we remembered uh, the impact 9-11 had on all of us New Yorkers and the world in general, and how much obviously the Yankees and their run that year, you know, meant to us and Derek at that time. Um, with how badly the Yankees wanted to win it for New York, um, what was it like to remember that season and, you know, the Yankees ultimately coming short with none other than Mariano Rivera on the mound. I think one thing that was important is that we had to remind the audience of how impactful 9-11 was at the time. You know, we live in a post 9-11 world where things that were so like jarring to us are standard now. You know, like taking your shoes off and your belt off when you go through security in the airport. Um, the rigorous nature of like checking IDs like all those things are a result of this horrific tragedy that happened over 20 years ago so there there is a segment of people that are too young to understand what the country was like what the time was like what the city was like around 9-11 and how that changed a lot of things and the way that they live their lives now is based on this event and I think also because of the pandemic and the lockdowns and Again, another horrible stretch of time that has impacted the way we live. 
you know, you forget about 9-11 in a way and, and the impact that it had at the moment. So that was one thing that we were very conscious of. Um, we wanted to honor the people that lost their lives, the families that were directly impacted by it. We wanted it to be an ode to New York City. We wanted to be mindful of everyone that was involved, whether they were um, frontline workers, police, firefighters, you know, like at that time, it felt like we that was like one moment we were all just kind of like New Yorkers, you know what I mean? And like whatever issues people have with law enforcement or the city or whatever, that all just like went to the side for a period of time because we all had to look out for each other. So we wanted to honor that uh, moment in time. And the Yankees have like a strong influence on what happened, you know, in the recovery and mentally and emotionally how they were there for New Yorkers uh, either through their play or being at ground zero or visiting victims or people that were still trying to uh, identify their loved ones. I mean, it's a very important time in New York City history. It's a very important time in Yankees history. It's a very important time in American history. And I felt like it was very important to showcase all of that. And also, quite frankly, to, to show different types of people and, and sharing their experiences. I think when we talk about 9-11, there's a very narrow focus on a particular group of people. And I wanted to expand that and say like, look, I mean, New York is a diverse city and uh, how we look, how we talk, how we act, everything. And I wanted to make sure that, that those voices uh, were just as diverse as the city. So we have a clearer picture of, you know, that it impacted everybody in, in some form or fashion. So that was a very important seen for us uh and we wanted to make sure we handled it with care that was such a brutal time i, I don't even necessarily consider or think about you know the yankees at that time because especially like yeah that was one of the most heartbreaking ends to a world series ever but just because it was kind of clouded by everything that was happening two months prior but uh another year that i don't like to talk about for baseball reasons is 2004 2004 is a year I I never, ever, ever want to discuss or talk about ever. And that's the same year that my favorite player went to my favorite team. And, and when, you know, the Yankees got Alex Rodriguez. But I still, because of how it ended, I you, you will never get me to mention it besides right now. I, I want to ask you because, you know, you're with Jeter, you're with, you know, the core four and other Yankees. And, you know, you're a hard, you know, diehard Yankee fan yourself. What was it like to, one, relive those moments and then, you know, to feel that impact from Jeter and everyone telling their story about everything that happened in 2004? From a strictly storytelling perspective, 2004 is the best baseball scene in the film because of the emotional impact, the way that things just change, the drama of it, the way that things just slowly turn to the wrong side if you're a Yankees fan. There's just a lot of inherent drama and is a pivotal point in Yankees history, Red Sox history, Derek's career, the city's history. And I, I just thought it was fascinating to talk to everybody involved just because I don't think a lot of people on the Yankee side really revealed how they felt about it. I never heard Jorge Posada say that, you know, he was at home and he was timing himself on a Dave Roberts steal and that he still remembered the time that he clocked himself on the throw or Derek reacting to Manny's uh, showing that sign during the world series parade in Boston. So I think it was just very revealing of everyone involved in the, 
on the Yankee side from an emotional perspective. I've always wanted to ask why didn't they bunt against Kurt Schilling? You know, I was always curious why or what were the turning points from every Yankees perspective? You know, we hear a lot of a lot about it from the Red Sox perspective. But what did Gary Sheffield think about the the turning points? What did A-Rod think about the turning points? What did Derek think? What did Joe Torre? What did Bernie think? Mariano, you know, you and they all had different answers, you know, so there, there's so many things that happened in that series that they all can't even come to a consensus about like what changed it, you know, and uh, I I feel better about it because they won in 2009. So to me, 2004 is just a moment in history. You know, if they didn't win in 2009, you legitimately can say that the Yankees have some curse following them around. But they kind of vindicated it later on. So to me, it's, it's just a moment in time. It sucks. I wish that it didn't happen, but I mean, they recovered from it. So it was with that in mind, it was, it was easier to talk about it because it, this isn't something that's like lingering anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was interesting. And I finally got answers just as a fan, you know, how the Yankees felt about certain things connected to 2004. And it was, it was really fascinating to hear uh, all of their responses to it. I want to focus quickly on on Mrs. Jeter now. Um, first of all, what a warrior she is. I mean, she was a fan favorite on Twitter during that that episode. Um, what was it like interacting with her about the things that made both Derek and us, the audience, laugh? Like him going around his house in a scooter. That was that was great to to listen to. It gave me a chuckle. And the things that were a little more serious and, you know, intimate, like her difficulties and near-death experiences uh, with childbirth. What was all that like? It took a while. You know, she was one of our last interviews. She knew that we wanted to interview her. She knew that she was going to do it. But it took a while to get her to come around to be comfortable enough to like really open up on camera. She's more private than Derek. And in some ways, uh, I think she's shyer than Derek, which is interesting because she used to be a model. So it's a little counterintuitive, but I get it also because she she believes in family and, you know, having a small circle of people around that you can trust, much like Derek. So I, I got it. When we interviewed her, she was like very nervous at the beginning. But again, I think it just comes down to trust. She she had talked to Derek and I'm sure he shared his experiences with her, with the interviews that he and I had. Um, she had seen some cuts, so she knew where the story was, was headed. I think a lot of it is just trusting the person on the other side of the camera. And once I earned her trust and she calmed down and, and was felt more comfortable, then she like really opened up and I could tell that she was getting more comfortable with the way she was cursing. Like at first she wouldn't curse, like she would hold back. Then she would say, excuse me, and then she would curse. And then she just started cursing, like, very naturally. Like, if it just made sense, she cursed. And, you know, her body language changed. I think when we talk about the complications she had from her childbirth, it, I mean, you're just, I didn't know all the details. I knew that we were going to talk about it. I knew that uh, some things had happened, but I didn't know exactly what it was while it was happening. So I'm I'm finding out in real time, like everyone else. 
And in that situation, you're trying to be incredibly respectful of what happened. You're trying to be respectful of her and her feelings and what she might be comfortable with and what she's not comfortable with. So you're kind of gauging, you're kind of letting her run the conversation. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't really ask a lot of follow-up questions. She had said so much just with her answers that it didn't feel appropriate or necessary to like really probe into it. Um, you let them take over the conversation and go as far as they're willing to go. And I'm incredibly appreciative that she just revealed so much. And I think one of the most important things about that, those scenes is that she also talked about her mental and emotional health at the time. And I think it was important for women and men to hear that there are times when it's not the baby blues, that there is something serious going on and that it needs attention and that it needs to be addressed because something even more dangerous could be going on. Um, and I think that messaging was really important. I'm proud that I was able to tell that story alongside them because I think with everything going on in the country, you know, with Roe versus Wade and reproductive rights being such a big part of the conversation and trying to protect that for women. I think it was very important to have someone of Hannah's prominence speak about it and speak about it honestly and show the reality of what women are going through and by extension, men who are alongside these brave and strong women. So I mean, I don't know. I think out of the entire film, I would say that that is probably the most important thing that we did. Um, and I, I feel very strongly about that just because of what's going on in the world and, and the timing of things. And to be that vulnerable with the entire world takes a lot of courage and strength and shows a lot about who she is. Um, so uh, I think she's amazing. I, she's awesome. Uh, she's funny. She's funny as hell. So, and it was funny to, have her, you know, she's one of the few people that just gets on Derek without any like hesitation. You know, whatever chance she had to kind of throw a dig at Derek, she did it. So that was also cool too, um, just to see a little bit of their dynamic together. So, uh, yeah, it was. I'm very appreciative of of Hannah. Going back an episode to, I think it was episode six, where, you know, we we get to the part where I read in back in Inside the Empire by Bob Clappish, where he had talked for a couple of chapters about the negotiations with Jeter and Cashman at the end of the 2010 season and how, you know, everyone was, was shocked back then when, you know, they found that, that Cashman was naming off specific players of who we'd rather have than than Derek. And, and the way that, one, I never, ever thought I'd ever hear Jeter's perspective on that. So that was my favorite episode by far because I was waiting for something like that the whole time. Like, especially because I think in episode one or two, you even teased it by saying, well, he says something like, you know, that was the first time I ever had conflicts with, with the front office. And I was like, oh, get to the, I can't wait because <laughs> I know exactly what, you you know, what you were going to get to. And that's, I wanted to ask you because you're probably one of the first if not few people who have ever, you know, saw Jeter in his human side, not just whatever he, he was able to tell the media. And and I wanted to ask you, what was it like interviewing him, you know, and getting the raw and uncomfortable moments from, from you know, him and his Yankees tenure? 
Yeah, it was great, but it was also our intention. Like, we didn't want it to be a puff piece. Derek didn't want it to be a puff piece. I certainly didn't want it to be a puff piece. And we knew that there were these moments with his relationship with the Yankees where it was rocky. You know, there's this, like, romanticized, sanitized depiction of Derek's career with the Yankees. And then many times, it's always put in this context of, you know, this was his dream the whole time. It was a dream with the Yankees and it was just perfect. And it was, that was far from the truth. You know, there are multiple points in Derek's career where he was in conflict with the organization and specifically Brian Cashman. And it was important to the both of us to really focus on those moments as well. You know, we you mentioned the arbitration case and Derek calling it out at the ESPYs and um, the 2010 negotiations with Cashman. We wanted to touch on all those things because it wasn't a smooth road for 20 years with the Yankees. You know, there was, there was a lot of things that were going on, but we wanted to make sure that the other side was represented as well. You know, we wanted Brian Cashman to be a part of it. We wanted Hal Steinbrenner to be a part of it. We wanted them to discuss these things. So we got both sides of it and it didn't feel like it was a hit piece or that we were uh, depicting somebody in a, in, in a light that wasn't appropriate or accurate. So we knew right away when we agreed to do this together that we were going to get into all this stuff. So, um, yeah, it was great to hear Derek talk about it, but I, I knew he was going to open up about it. You know, when this was announced a couple of years ago, people were like, oh, what's he going to say? He doesn't say anything. He's boring. He's this, he's that. And that's the furthest from the truth. You know what I mean? Like, as he said, this is all by design. You know, he, he watered everything down so he could win championships and, and he accomplished it. So I knew that he was going to open up and say a lot of stuff the public didn't know until it came out. So none of it was surprising to me because we had already discussed it. Um, and I got a sense of who he is just being around him, you know what I mean, and talking to him. So I had no doubts that he was going to open up and say things that people just simply wouldn't expect him to say. And um, I'm happy now that the world has seen it and, and understands that it's not what they thought this was going to be. My partner just mentioned, uh, you know, Derek's uh, back and forth with Brian Cashman and management over contract disputes. That's actually a perfect segue to my question. Uh, you mentioned Derek's transition into an ownership role in one of the final episodes. Um, as a Yankee fan living in South Florida, I got to witness firsthand the reaction of the fan base down here to the distrust they had in him and Bruce Sherman to then him ultimately stepping down. Do you think Derek got a fair shot as an owner of the Miami Marlins? And, you know, he seemed like he wanted to put a winner in Miami. Also, do you ever see a scenario where he could one day take a similar role with the Yankees or any other team? No, I don't think Derek got a fair shake in Miami. I think... What happened in Miami is what happens with a lot of franchises. Teams don't want to spend. They don't want to value players. And Derek was one of those few people that had uh, a high-ranking position with a franchise that actually wanted to spend to get players so that they could have um, a consistent contender. Uh, I think there were other things that were going on, but the crux of it is – what we all know teams don't spend so um yeah i mean 
we wanted to tell more in the in the series. MLB like had issues, and you know there was a lot of back and forth. But you know a lot of things that happens just comes down to money. I mean, it's it's not a well kept secret. So I don't think Derek got a fair shake in the context that he wasn't able to see his vision all the way through because there were different phases of the plan. And I think he took a lot of slings and arrows. And then when it was time to like step up and put the money where their mouths were, then there were problems. You know what I mean? So uh, that's me speaking. I'm not speaking for Derek. I just want to be clear. That's me speaking. Uh, and I think that's what happened. So that's the answer to one question. I think if the right opportunity presented itself, Derek would consider it. Uh, I don't think he's totally done with the idea of owning a team, but I think that the circumstances would certainly have to be different than what happened in Miami. Um, I know he says that he he's over it, but just me personally, I, I don't, I think that if the right situation came up in the future, he would consider it. To finish it out, uh, it's a separate question. If you want to answer it, good. But um, what's one moment making this documentary that you'll never forget? And who was your favorite person to interview, being that you said it, Alex, maybe wasn't your favorite? Yeah, it was me and Michael Jordan. I mean, not many people can say that they met Michael Jordan and had a chance to speak with him and shake his hand. And I'm a Bulls fan, so it was even more, like, crazy to me to, to meet, like, the GOAT, you know what I mean, and speak with him and, and hear his experiences and hear about his relationship with Derek. And, you know, he's another person that elevates the film because you can't really, in, in the context that we present, Michael, you can't really refute what he's saying. You know what I mean? Like, these are like personal experiences that he has that are very similar to Derek's and that they they truly lead different lives because of who they are. And there's a cost to it. There's an impact on them. And to hear it from two legends, you know, is, is pretty remarkable. So, yeah, me, Michael Jordan, like, immediately stands out. Well, Randy, I, I just want to say, again, you know, thank you so much for taking the time. We know you're, you're very busy. And you got plenty of other things going on. Um, Our pleasure. We really look forward to whatever you have next. And we'll, we'll definitely be watching. We we fell in love with this with this documentary after like ten minutes of episode one. So we nice. Were, we were thank in you. And, I appreciate it. Thank hey, you. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. And uh, yeah. you know, thanks again for taking the time. And uh, you know, hope you know, wish you the best with everything going on in the future. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you for coming on with us, Randy. We appreciate you. Likewise. And that's a wrap from episode thirty of the Hottest Kena podcast. From me, Enrique and special guest, Randy Wilkins. Thank you so much for coming out and listening to us. See you next time. Go Yanks.